Good morning, everybody. It's great to be alive. How many would rather be here in the best hospital in town? Uh, amen. You're looking good. You sound good. Thanks to the praise team doing a great job today. Well, I'm going to talk to you about an exciting subject, how to live before you die. Some people never live at all. I know we're going to die, but I want to die living. I'm serious. God, I don't know what happened to church to create such dullness in people thinking this is really wonderful when Jesus said, I want to give you an abundant life. And it's almost like it's sinful to have laughter, to have great joy, and to be excitable, to be filled with passion in life. I'm serious. And, and yet, I don't know, it's a cultural deal. It, it, it may take another generation to change it. I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let me read through, you know, about 12 verses of Scripture here. And, you know, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, one of the wisest men in the world, and it doesn't read very exciting, but I'll break it down into four simple thoughts when I get through. Remember, when we read this, Solomon is towards the end of his life, and he's going to write these words about his perspective about life. He sought fulfillment in pleasure, in accomplishment, in good food, and fun. Wine, women, song, and lots of money. That's Solomon. And God blessed him with it. God gave him wealth beyond, and Solomon never asked for it. He asked God for wisdom. And God says, because you've asked wisdom and nothing for yourself, here's what I'm going to do for you, Jack. I'm going to bless you like nobody's ever been blessed before. Okay. That being said, old Solomon had to learn some real hard truths that no matter how much money he had, no matter how many women he had, and I know some of you men think, well, if I'd marry her, or that's a hottie if, if I had done that. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Solomon could talk to us men about women. And, and his idea was, it, it doesn't satisfy. A great old mentor of mine in Hollywood one day, we were walking across the street, and he said, you see that babe? He's talking to me. And I'm not dead. Yeah, I see her. I'm a visual person. Yeah, I see her. He said, somebody's already tired of her. And he wasn't demeaning her. He was saying, the truth is, every time we think fulfillment and peace is going to come through a thing or someone, it never does. It you can't get enough drugs. You can't sleep with enough people. You can't make enough money. You can't buy enough houses. You can't have enough title and fame and ever have that peace that only God can give you. And Solomon's just saying, I've done it, dude. I've had it all. You'll never even reach my level. And it was vanity, totally. And it made his heart kind of, uh, made, made his heart kind of depart from the Lord in his old age because he, he took so many women into his house. I can't handle one. I can't imagine 700. How about you boys? Now, you can learn a lot from a person by what they say as they come to the end of their life and they reflect on it. I understand the final words of actress Joan Crawford after her maid tried to pray for her were, don't you dare ask God to help me. Andrew Jackson's final words were, don't cry, be good children, we're all going to meet again in heaven. The great artist Leonardo da Vinci spoke these final words, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Multimillionaire Jay Gould's final words were, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. And I love this one. General John Sedwick, a Union commander in the Civil War, was lined up for battle with his troops. And his troops were telling him they were too close to the enemy. 
And General, Sed General Sedwick's final words were, why they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. <laughs> he didn't get distance out, did he? Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1 through 12. So I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All people share a common destiny, the righteous, the wicked, the good, the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who don't. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living at least has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead, they know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their memory is forgotten. Their love, their hate, never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life God has given you. For this is a, your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there's no work, no planning, no knowledge, no wisdom. For I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But a lot of it has to do with time and chance, which happens to us all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Okay, from all that this wise man Solomon gives us four important lessons about life. Number one, this is your one and only life. Enjoy it. Savor it. Make it count. Your time on earth and mine, whether long or short, ought to be something we take pleasure in and enjoy. If you don't like what you're doing, you're probably not doing what God made you to do. God did not make you to be miserable, have a lousy job, a lousy marriage, and a bad hairstyle. No, he didn't do. You did it. And only you can change that by taking some action. But God didn't create you to be miserable. Come on. He did not. But some of you don't have enough guts to change what you're doing and take a chance. It was 44 years of age and very scary to leave a secure job, a low-interest home on an island in Savannah, Georgia, to come here with no income and no promised support and start a church. I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. But I know one thing's for sure, you got to go for it. This is my one and only life. Make it count. It's, well, it doesn't matter whether you live long or not, enjoy it. If you remember, only God can give you real happiness and contentment. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7 and 8, go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. God is not a cosmic killjoy who is constantly angry with us and wants to get rid of anything happy and enjoyable. I don't know where that came from. It came out of church, but it didn't come from Jesus. This guy was partying all the time. He ate with publicans and sinners. He, that's what the religious crowd, the Pharisees, were always mad at him. He's always eating and drinking. They called him a wine-bibber and a glutton. They wouldn't call him that if he was on an organic diet. 
Are you with me? This is, this is their perception. Jesus did enjoy and save her life. He was not an unhappy person. He was treated badly by the religious people. He had some sorrow, but he was a man of great joy, and he brought great happiness and contentment to people. A lot of people think God is some judgmental grandfather who's always mean, always mad, and just tolerates laughter. But he's really happy when we feel guilty and somber and sad. Oh, he's happy when we look at ourselves and berate ourselves. See, God created this world with texture and color and tastes and sensations and Mexican food and emotion for us to enjoy. How, when I was in the, behind the Iron Curtain before it fell, everything, I was in Bulgaria and all the communist countries were anti-God, were black, black and white. There were no pretty flowers, there were no pretty colors. But after the fall, then you saw the other parts of these cities that were new blossom with, with beautiful gardens, beautiful buildings, texture and color. God put all of that into life to make it beautiful and appealing and, and, and sensual and emotions. And I love a high, high and a low, low passion. It's, don't you just, I, I hate meeting a person that's like a dial tone. Uh, what happened to you? Wake up. Get a, get a latte, a double cappuccino espresso or something. So God put all that color and sensation and emotions into it. And the older we get, listen to me, some of you old people, the older we get, the more stimulation we need. I got to have, I don't want mustard, I got to have Dijon. I want that double whammy horseradish. I need something to spark me up because you get dull when you get older. It takes a whole lot more to start the engine and keep it running. I was just thinking where to go with that, and I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't go with that. Maybe I shouldn't. But I think you can read between the lines. You, but God says, look, I, I want you to be stimulated. I put passion. I put desire in you. You can use it for good. You can use it for evil. But I put it there. Solomon says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. White garments were worn to joyous parties and occasions. Anointing oil was used for special events. You might compare that today to a beautiful aftershave or a beautiful fragrant uh, a perfume. Have you ever gotten, either walked into an office or an elevator in a store or something, and either somebody got on or just got off, and wow, you don't know who it is or what it was or even what, I'd like to know what she had on. That's beautiful. Or, or, or a nice fragrant aftershave. And uh, the flight attendant says, what is that you're wearing? Well, then you know you don't stink at least. <laughs> you smell good. People like to be around people that smell good. Some of you stink. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to smell, <laughs> smell good. Not just with a perfume, but personality-wise, effervescent, joyful. And he says, come on, make every occasion a special occasion. Bring out the good china. Quit waiting for the president to come visit you. He ain't coming. So get it out. Use it. Don't let your life be overburdened with mundane and boring things. Live life with some zest, with some gusto, with some passion. The Bible says the zeal of the Lord has consumed him, speaking of Jesus. He was a passionate man. He wasn't a zombie walking around neutral in some nightgown with a cross. Holy, holy, holy. He was a zealous man. He drove the money changers out of the temple who were cheating people, and uh, he took a whip and, and drove them out. I, I wouldn't say he was a very passive person. Huh? I, he put a whip out on you. I think that's, this is, this is the sweet, holy Jesus, okay? He had passion. Everybody he touched had a little bit of passion. 
And verse 9 goes on to say, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life God's given you under the sun, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. J. Paul Getty was one of the richest men who had ever lived. You wouldn't expect him to be envious of anybody. He could buy anything. But Getty once said he was envious of people who knew how to make marriage work and be happy in marriage. He ought to ask that question because he had five marriages and five divorces. He couldn't make that work. Proverbs 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So God says getting a wife is a good thing and it's a gift from God. And God says, you find her. You got to live with her. You find her. He who finds a wife, go hunt for her, look for her. We got some beautiful women around here that are single, some of them single moms right now. They're available for the right man, for the right man. Not any man, the right man. Uh, that's great. Going to make great wives, great mamas, great pals, great friends. And God says to enjoy this wife of your youth and, uh, and, and have a little party with her. That's a, that's a good thing, to have joy with your wife. Um, Proverbs 19, 14, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So a good spouse is something that we should never overlook and see it as a blessing from God. Don't neglect the second most important relationship in your life. That's your spouse. Dr. Warren Wearsby writes, no matter how difficult life might be, there's great joy in the home of a man or a woman who love each other and are faithful to their marriage vows. And one of the most damaging things can happen to a marriage is when husband and wife stop laughing together and having fun together. Everything has to be serious and ends up in a quarrel, hurt feelings, bad feelings. But that means we are to do things we enjoy together and continue to do things that bring enjoyment. Have fun. Now, you can't have fun just one way because through marriage, you go through seasons in life. Your body goes through seasons in life. My friend John Hagee likes to say three, three seasons of marriage, lust, rust, and dust. <laughs> but no matter what season you're in, I still have fun. I still laugh. I love when Cindy laughs and we go to a movie or we go to an event and we have fun together or go to a sporting event like watching the Spurs and she'll embarrass you. She'll scream, shout down the referee and all. And I'm thinking, well, she's just very passionate about it. Now, we don't like everything together. We all have different likes and needs, but we've got to have something together to have fun with. And can I say to the men, the Bible says that the wife is the glory of the man. The man is the glory of God. That wife reflects your glory. So whether you feel good or you feel passionate or you feel frisky or you don't feel anything, you treat her with respect and you honor her. If she's your glory, she ought to look good. If she's your glory, you ought to, with your income and your level in life, you ought to provide the best for her that you can. And God promises to bless you with favor, to bless your business, and to bless your children. You put some jewelry on that girl when you can afford to do something for her, even if you go without. You look after her. All the patriarchs brought camels full of jewelry and adorned their wives. I don't know what happened to the Pentecostal holiness that won't wear anything adorning. The Bible says that's not what your beauty is, that's all. But every one of them decked out those girls to look good. And when people look at you, they see the glory of who you're married to. And if you look like 40 miles of bad road, your husband sucks. That's exactly what God says. So whether I feel passionate or I feel nothing, 
I want to see that th- that woman is taken care of, and she looks good and feels good, knows she's valuable, and I rejoice in the, with, the, with the wife of your youth, have pleasure. <laughs> you know, if I went through Song of Solomon, it's pretty well erotic and X-rated there, but even when you get old and you ain't too erotic anymore, the point is you have fun together. And God says, do that. Do that. You just can't stay in a, in, a, in a mating frenzy for 70 years of marriage. You cannot do that. You're not made to do that, but you can have fun all the days of your life, love each other all the days of your life. And God says, if you'll do it, I'll bless you. In fact, if you won't do it, even your prayers won't be hindered. They will be hindered. I won't hear them. That's how important that is. So be sure. You, you, you treat that wife. She's your glory. And let, let people know that's, boy, look at her. Who's she married to? Oh, him, him. Whoa, oh, he must be something. Look at her. You don't want people to say, oh, look at her. Lord, help him. Who is that? So it's not about just physical beauty. It's about someone that just looks nice, is well cared for and happy and honored by the family and by the kids. That's a good thing. I didn't mean to get off on that, but that is, that is scriptural, okay? So have fun. Laugh together. Don't bring the business home. Don't make everything so serious and we have to fuss and fight about every darn thing. Point number two, Solomon says life is short, so give it your all. The Bible says life is a vapor. It appears for a moment, poof, it's gone. Solomon says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave, what are you going to do? There's no work, no planning, no knowledge, no wisdom. And we don't know how long we have to live, none of us. So God says, give it everything you've got. Give life full gusto. Commentators refer to this passage as the carpe diem passage. Carpe diem is the Latin phrase meaning seize the day. Grab it. You know, when you walk by faith and you honor the Lord, you don't have to try to escape life or to endure life. You can enjoy life. Chuck Swindoll writes, if you're waiting to live it up when you're six feet under, pal, you're in for a major disappointment. The time to live is now. And the way to do it is to pull out all the stops and play full volume. I love that. Give it your best. Listen to Paul writing at the Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ your servant. If you're driving nails on a roof, if you're putting in plumbing under a, under a subcontractor, whatever you're doing, if you're serving a class in this church, God says, do it with all your heart as unto me, not unto men. Men never deserve it. Your employer doesn't deserve it. God says, if that's the case, you'll never give it your best. Give it your best as to me, because you are actually doing it to me. That's the reward of serving. So it's not about who you work for. It's about who you are. You give your best because this is unto the Lord. Pastor Dick Alexander is a, is a minister at LifeSpring Christian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he tells the story of going to a hospital to a visit a, a wife. The husband's dying. He's near death. He's in ICU. And he visited with them, and they went out to the waiting room. And in a few minutes, the doctor came out with the news that the husband had passed away. He, he waited a little while. They came and got he and the, 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 the wife, and they went to the room where the dead body of the woman's husband lay. He said there was a nurse in the room washing this man's face, preparing for the undertakers to come and take the body. But he says as she was washing the face of this gentleman, 
she did it like it was her own father, which he wasn't, such dignity and such gentleness and care. He said, a chaplain came in and ushered us into another room, and the nurse went with us. His words were comforting and helpful, he says. Then he prayed, and when he finished praying, I looked up to see the nurse sitting in the corner, tears streaming down her face. He said, I walked out to the car with the new widow, and then I went back to the ICU unit, and I tried to find the nurse. I did. And I said, ma'am, I just want to thank you. I don't know how you do this. Such care, such respect, such dignity and honor and gentleness. How do you do that every day? And I know people die here almost every day. How do you have that kind of compassion and servanthood every day? And she looked at him and she had a symbol. I'm a Christian. And then she left and went on about her work. That's what we ought to be. We're reflecting him. She washed that dead body just like it was her own daddy with dignity and respect as unto the Lord. Christian recording artist Matthew West wrote a song called The Motions. The words say, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I'd given everything instead of just going through the motions? So God says, life is short. Give it your best. You don't have a day promised tomorrow, neither do I. Nobody does. So he says, don't live with regret. If only, if only, if only. Do it. Say it. Tell it. Express it. Whatever it may be. Tell someone you love them. Give them a hug. Kiss them. Life is just too short. Last week, we lost a great friend of this ministry and me, and that's Brother Bill Morris. Bill Morris has been battling cancer for years, but you'll see him at the door greeting people, serving. He and his wife, Doris, the most faithful people, gentle, tall, big, handsome, African-American, former military, retired guy, and uh, you wouldn't know he had a problem. Not one day have I ever seen him complain, feel sorry for himself, or talk about all the chemo and the radiation and the surgery. Never. I knew, but never would he say a word to anybody about it. And his weight dropped off of him. He just stood there like a giant and greeted people, served people, and confident. It was clear he had cancer, but it was very clear cancer didn't have him. He had strong faith. And I just felt, I was going to Africa, you know, a week ago, and I, I'm not an idiot. I knew Bill was in the last stages, but I didn't. I told Johnny Hughley, I said, Johnny, I, I'm not sure he'll be alive when I get back from Africa. Let's go see him now. And I've seen him before, but we went over and sat on the couch, skinny as he could be, now bald, beautiful head, and sitting there, and me in the middle, Johnny Hughley and Bill Mars. I looked like an Oreo cookie, you know, just. <laughs> and we just had such fun, and we, we talked and we laughed. I gave him a big kiss on that bald head, and I told him how much I loved him and how much we appreciate all that he and Doris have done for Summit over the years and appreciate the confidence and faith, fighting a big battle. Never did he waver. Never was he afraid, confident in his God. And sure enough, you know, Friday while I was overseas, Johnny texts me and says, Bill, Bill's gone on to be with the Lord. We're going to do his funeral uh, on Saturday. But what a giant of a man love him, big, big feet, big, huge body, and then watch that foul cancer, you know, destroy the corruptible body. Thank God he can't destroy the incorruptible part of our soul. And, and oh, Bill, 
Bill's going to have an incorruptible body now, and he's free. But he wasn't afraid, and he was confident, a man of faith. He fought that thing right down to the last breath. I'm so proud of him. But I was thinking, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad I got to tell him what I wanted to tell him about, I do love you, and I, you are dear to me. Anybody says anything about you, I'll slap them. I'm, I'm for you. And I don't care what race or what culture you are. But Tell people you love. Tell your wife you love her before you leave. Tell your kids you love them. Even when they're on there texting you for money at school, tell them you love them. Tell them, Daddy loves you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I've been doing this now since 911. 911 was a wake-up call for me when it had the voice recordings of people trapped in the World Trade Center who couldn't get out, and there were those, those sad voices of people saying, please tell Maggie I love her. No, you, I want to tell you now before my airplane disappears in the Indian Ocean. I won't tell you now, what's Rick's last words? Well, he told me he loved me, and he hoped he could sleep on the flight. Well, that's, that's a good thing. People want to hear that. Don't wait till a funeral to say nice things. Tell, tell them right now. Tell, listen, this has gotten embarrassing. I have twice gone into a retail store to shop to make a purchase, and in leaving, said, said to the salesman, you know, God bless you. I love you, man. And I thought, I don't love you. Why did I say that? I don't even know you. But it's a habit, and it's a good habit. I mean, okay, so I threw away I love you, but it's a good one. It's okay. And, and, and when people serve your children, when people help you, whatever, be, be expressive about that. Don't be so guarded. Be open. Say, I love you, man. God bless you. It's good when men love other men. In the Bible, they embraced. In the Middle East, they hugged. They kissed each other's cheek. It's not a sexual thing. It's just the, rather than a handshake, it's a very strong greeting among men. Nothing stronger in the world than that. You watch football players win a game, like maybe if the Cowboys do, and they'll hug. <laughs> they play Seattle tonight. You know, I'm a little worried about that. I know, I know it's possible, I just know it ain't real practical, but I'm, I'm hoping. Number three, the race is long in life. Stick with it. Stick with it. You short-term people won't make it unless you think long-term. This is a marathon. This is not a hundred-yard dash and it's over. It's grinding, grueling, long haul. And listen, it ain't over till it's over. You have no idea how the God can turn things around in the latter part of a race. Don't you dare even think about quitting. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Dr. Eugene Peterson has a book entitled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it just reminds us as Christians that we, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we committed ourselves to faithfully follow Him for the rest of our lives. And it's... It's been said that life is 10% what happens to you, but 90% how you respond to what happens to you. And there's going to be obstacles in life. And whether we make it to the finish line or not depends on how you approach those obstacles. You're an overcomer. By the Bible definition, that means you've got to overcome something. You've got to get over stuff. You've got to get through stuff. Bad stuff happens to everybody. We can work harder than anybody else. We can be more talented. We can be smarter. We can be stronger than anyone else. But time and chance plays a big role in our life. Time is a huge factor, being in the right place at the right time. Solomon is saying there's two things that can up upset all of our plans, timing and chance. Time is a huge factor, being in the right place at the right time. You got to work for it, sure. You got to give your best, of course, but you still hope the timing is right. 
None of us know how much time we have. That's why we're told to seize the day. Timing is so important. You don't want to be early, but you don't want to be late. This property down on the corner of Marshall, this uh, shopping area, was first sought out by a developer and built, but it was about two years early, and it went into foreclosure. Now the new owners who bought it for less than its value have found the timing to be good, and now they're filling up all the slots. One guy had the right idea, but his timing wasn't good. Uh, You think about the Cowboys being in the right place to make an interception or a tackle, being in the right place at the right time. That's so important. And then chance. Chances refers to unexpected things that happen to us that we don't have any control over. It's like the singer who was eliminated on American Idol who came back on the wild card night and won the whole thing. In sports, it happens every year at March Madness, the NCAA Basketball Championship. I remember when UConn, who was seeded number three in the tournament, highly favored, got knocked off by number 14, San Diego. Who would know? What a shock. Or a stock boy putting groceries on a shelf named Kurt Warner, undrafted, five years later from a supermarket, becomes Super Bowl MVP. Timing and chance. Or Sarah Bowles, that homey-looking old girl who lives with her mama in a poor village in Wales, walked onto the stage of American Idol, and everybody laughed. She wasn't pretty, and there was no idol glow about her. Simon Cowell and everybody else were politely laughing under their breath, and she opened her mouth. And when that woman sang, Simon Cowell's eyes got as big as alloy wheels on a BMW. I mean, they were blown away. And the timing and the chance took an obscure, ordinary, plain-looking woman to the whole world, and contracts flowed in, and she became a household name. Timing and chance. And God says, happens to everybody. Happens to everybody. Unexpected things. There are times you're on the receiving end of those unexpected events, but there are other times that you get disturbing news. A bad diagnosis. Let go from a job. You face the loss of a loved one. Life is full of both mountaintops and valleys. Good days and bad days. But life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. Life consists of the daily grind over time. That's why God says, it's not so important how you start, but whether you finish. And that's what I want you to do. All of us have setbacks, delays, failures. That's not the issue. The issue is, am I a finisher? Most people just give up and quit so easy it annoys me. In our country, we don't have endurance, we don't have patience, we're easily offended, and we lose our focus on what our dream was, and we just give up because, oh, we had a bad letdown, I guess God's not going to do it. What happened to perseverance? He says, you have need of perseverance, endurance, that after you've done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. Having done all to stand, stand, shoot, I want to hear that. Give me a pill, give me something, give me, how can I jackstart this thing? No, no, having done all to stand. Keep standing. It ain't over yet. And you'll outlast people. It's a surprise. You turn around now and I look at people who were so far ahead of us, they're dead. They're gone. And others failed. They got out of the race. Some of them chased a dress. Some of them chased money. Some of them got into criminal activity. Some of them died, but they're gone. And the issue is you may not be pretty, but you're still running. You're still in the race. And you don't get a reward for just being in the race. You got to finish. 
And so God says, all I want you to do is finish. You might come across there dragging, slow, or whatever. When I climbed Mount Rainier, uh, I guess I was 60 at the time, uh, I even did a video, and I told him, look, if I die on that mountain, you put a rope on me and drag me on up to the top. Because I'm not going to quit until I die. I'm going to finish this thing. And that's the way I feel about my job. That's the way I feel. I hope you feel about whatever your, your marriage or your calling or your career. God didn't say it'd be easy. God didn't even say sometimes it'd be fun. He just said it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Be a finisher, not an easily offended, quit life, quit marriage, quit church person. Quitters are just loaded in churches and loaded in life. Be a finisher. It's not that we don't have pain. It's not that we don't feel like giving up. It's not that we don't get mad or discouraged or depressed. It's just that we refuse to quit. Uh, we have some interesting people in this church, and I don't know who they are, and that makes it even more fun because you don't know who you're talking to. And I get letters occasionally from people, and I thought, wow, what a shot in the arm. I won't say who because they could be in here, and I, of course I wouldn't know who they were. But it's just nice every now and then when you get a letter like that. And I, I got a letter from an attorney, and I thought, oh, this is good. Who's suing me now? So I think, I, well, it wasn't that at all. It was a big shot in the arm of encouragement. And he said, this is not a get-out-of-jail-free pass, Rick, but I know you got a new car for your birthday, and I know you don't like 281 in the traffic, and I know you have a tendency to have a heavy foot. If by some chance you should slip and backside and get a ticket, send it to me. I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> Drive safe. I don't, know, I don't know who that man is, but I'm going to send a nice letter. And I thought, you never know who's sitting out here. You just never know. I was in that conference with Pastor Ot Basov, and I preached that message, Safety Last. And I closed it by challenging the people, do something unsafe for Christ this week. Not stupid unsafe for the Lord. Ott comes to me the next morning. He said, you ain't going to believe this. I don't even know who this is. But one of, our, one of our people that I don't know gave us a check last night for $750,000. The conference is paid off. Thank you for that message. <laughs> I thought, would you give me the tithe? <laughs> but he didn't know who's sitting there. You just never know. Be nice to everybody. Love everybody. Tell them you love them. But life is a daily grind, and it's over the long haul. Same about a marriage. People say, well, they got Cindy and I'll be married 40 years this coming October. And, and, and I'm thinking, it ain't easy. Staying married, you think, boy, you just, you don't know who I married. No, you don't know who she married. She could have killed me a couple of times or shot me. I must be difficult to live with. Can't imagine that, but I must be. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, no, we work at it. You just work at it. Everybody works at it. And then last, your hour is going to come. Be ready. Emma Bombeck wrote, if I had my life to live over after she was diagnosed with cancer, and she knew death was imminent. She's a humorist. She is a funny lady. She said, I would have gone to bed when I was sick instead of pretending the earth would go into a holding pattern if I weren't there for the day. I would have burned the pink candle sculptured like a rose before it melted in storage. I would have talked less, listened more. I would have invited friends over to dinner even if the carpet was stained or the sofa faded. 
I would have eaten the popcorn in the good living room and worried much less about the dirt when somebody wanted to light a fire in the fireplace. I would have taken the time to listen to my grandfather ramble on about his youth. I would never have insisted the car windows get rolled up on a summer day because my hair had just been teased and sprayed. I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about grass stains on my pants. I would have cried and laughed less while watching television and more while watching life. I would never have bought anything just because it was practical or it wouldn't soil or it was guaranteed to last a lifetime. Instead of wishing away nine months of pregnancy, I had cherished every moment and realized the wonderment growing inside of me was the only chance in life to assist God in a miracle. When my kids kissed me impetuously, I would never have said later, go get washed up for dinner. There would have been more I love yous, more I'm sorry. But mostly given another shot at life, I would seize every minute, look at it, really see it, live it, and never, ever give it back. Don't wait till the last day. Seize the day now. Tell somebody that you love them. Take a step of faith. Launch that business. Give that gift. Do that something. Forgive someone. Go ahead and make it count. Don't give it back. And quit worrying about getting dirty or the kids will get sold. Or don't play in the dirt. You'll get germs or something. Just relax. Just relax. Solomon goes on to finish in chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. All share a common destiny, the righteous, the wicked, the good, the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so those who are, are not afraid. Afraid. He's throwing everybody in here. This is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The heart of men, moreover, are full of evil. There's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, well, they join the dead. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So death is an appointment we all have. We can't cancel it. We can't change it. Statistically speaking, one out of one people die. <laughs> the mortality rate is still 100%. An Indiana cemetery had a tombstone, 100 years old, with this epithet. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Somebody had scribbled underneath it additional statement. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> Tony Evans up in Dallas says, we've got it backwards. We measure things by our birth date when we should measure them by our death date. And the statement is true, is the problem is we just don't know how many years that any of us have. He goes on, moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. And the seasons of life are unpredictable, just like the duration of your life. No person knows when their hour will come. So Solomon starts off this passage with the most important thing for to remember. Verse 1, I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. Life and death are in God's hand. Only God knows our future, whether there will be blessing or sorrow. So Solomon is not saying that we're just actors in a cosmic play with an unchangeable script given to us by an uncaring director named God. Solomon emphasizes we have freedom to decide where to go and what we're going to do. We have the power of choice. But he wants to remind us that only God knows what's going to happen tomorrow 
based on the decisions we make today. So he hammers home two important things. Death is inevitable. Life, wow, is so unpredictable. It just is. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says, death is unavoidable. And since death is unavoidable and life unpredictable, the only course we can safely take is to yield ourselves into the hands of God and walk by faith in His Word. We don't live by explanations. We live by His promises. We don't depend on luck, but on the providential working of our loving Father as we trust His promises and obey His will. I don't know if you've ever read in school Pilgrim's Progress, but there's a beautiful scene in that classic by John Bunyan, and the Jordan River is pictured. That's death, the Jordan River, and the celestial city, that's heavens on the other side. So to reach heaven, you've got to cross the Jordan River. So in this book, there's a character named Hopeful. He enters the Jordan River, and he calls back, Be of good cheer, my brother, for I feel the bottom, and it's sound as a rock. So as people who have placed their hope in Jesus Christ, we don't fear death because Christ conquered and defeated death. Jesus said in Revelation 1, verse 17, don't be afraid. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Because I live, you're going to live also. And I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And because Jesus is alive and we live in Him, I never look at life as meaningless, meaningless. We live on purpose. We live with gusto. We live with passion because we are people of purpose. Finally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then that saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, O oh, grave, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Ah, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing shake you up. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So don't think your time won't come, folks. Even if you're young adults, we've done funerals for you too. It will. Dr. Wayne Smith says Satan will never tell you there's no hell, and he won't tell you there's no heaven. What he will tell you is there's no hurry. Don't put off that major decision. Be ready. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.